0: I thank you, Tim, for that prayer supplication, and again, I thank each and every one of you for being here today, choosing to come. You made that choice because of your relationship with the Lord and how God is stirring in your heart, and I trust that it has already been, and I'm sure it has been, a blessing just to be here and to be in the midst of God's people and giving praise to the Lord, and uh, certainly want to uh, thank the Lord for making these times possible for us to be together And then also I want to remind you and invite you to join us at 515 for our virtual uh, Bible study, the equip hour. You can find that contact information in your worship guide. Hope you can join us. It's a wonderful study through the uh, book of Genesis. And then on Wednesday evenings, join us also as we gather together for prayer. And uh, many of the concerns that you see reflected on the prayer guide plus others. We lift up to the Lord and it's an interactive time. We can kind of share prayer needs and concerns together. As you're turning in your Bibles this morning to uh, Acts chapter 9, as we continue to walk through the, the, uh, the book of Acts and the epistles, uh, as we get a better understanding of the workings of, of the power of, powerful spirit of God in that early church, we're going to see how God confronted um, others and, and, in a unique way with, by the gospel of Jesus. And God has been in the business of confronting people with the powerful gospel message. And folks, God is still in the business of confronting people with the powerful message of the gospel uh, message. You're going to see that in a very familiar story in the Bible that I'm sure all of you know almost by heart, but still it's good to revisit because in this account of the conversion of the apostle Paul, if you will, we find that God... uh, shows us here how sinners are confronted by the Savior and and they are called for a mission and they are united with believers folks that applies to every one of us we were all sinners lost separated from God and God confronted us with the truth of the gospel message he confronted us with the living Savior Jesus Christ and I'm thankful for that and I praise the Lord for that not only that but God calls All all those that he converts, he calls to be on mission. Uh, You know, God didn't just save us so that he could put a sticker on our chest and say, okay, I'll come back and get you at the rapture or when you die and go to heaven. But God has a purpose for every born again believer in Jesus Christ. And we'll see that demonstrated in our lesson this morning. And then also uh, how God, after confronting and calling sinners into the faith and on mission, he also unites all believers with believers in other words with the body of christ and so we'll see in this idea of how god confronts with the gospel how god is confronting probably one of the most unlikely candidates as god is in the process of preparing a special apostle who will take the message of the gospel to the gentiles not only to the gentiles but the gentile rulers that involves governors and kings god's going to involve a most unlikely person i mean my goodness you know, God doesn't usually use the people that we would probably say, oh, that person is the one that God ought to use or this person ought to be the one that God uses. We'll see that God chose a very unlikely figure. But God, this is not the first time that's happened. You know, it's not the last time. And it hasn't been the last time I was thinking, and I'll, I'll date myself here uh, dangerously um, going back into the 1960s. Uh, there was a very popular book, and it was made into a movie. It was called *The Cross and the Switchblade*. And some of you, my generation, may remember that. It was made into a movie that was very popular, and, and, and starring in the movie it was Pat Boone, who was a popular singer and a Christian singer later, and uh, and then Nikki Cruz. And in that in that uh, that true story, it was about a, a young, uh, I believe, Pentecostal pastor. A preacher in the hills of uh, rural Pennsylvania David Wilker- Wilkerson. and, and he uh, Wilkinson and, and he felt convicted after he was reading a very graphic article in Life magazine about the violent teenagers uh, that were in gangs in New York City and, and he just came under great conviction that that these angry violent teenagers needed to hear the truth of the gospel and he felt God calling him so he and his wife packed up and they moved up there very meager means they had very little income and and there they planted themselves in there in one of the one of the toughest parts of brooklyn new york blues is that where you're from manhattan, manhattan. okay so i want to make sure you weren't among that gang <clears throat> no i'm just kidding but there david Wilkerson and his wife began a ministry trying to reach out to these very hostile angry gangs that were angry at authority angry at establishment and, and were venting their anger through violence and, uh, towards uh, citizens and anger towards uh, violence towards other gang members. And, and so in, in, in the story, it talks about how this young preacher who was so convicted that God was wanting him to get the message of the gospel and, and, and through many efforts to try to share the gospel with, with the, uh, the gang leader, Dino, um, who was also known as Israel uh you know it it became so apparent to israel that that this guy this preacher was was you know dog determined he was going to talk to him about jesus and he kept trying to reject him and he tried to do whatever he could to discourage him and 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 try to make him leave because he felt so uncomfortable he even hired a prostitute to kill david you know and promised her you know she she could get drugs if, if she did and instead when she went to to try to do that. David and his, his wife took this young lady in, they loved on her, they nurtured her, they helped her to dry out from the drugs, shared Jesus with her, and she became a Christian. She went back and, and shared that to, to the, uh, Dino, the, the gang leader. And so, uh, so finally, David called the two rival gangs together. He says, I'm gonna have a revival. And they had already planned they were gonna clash that night. And so this, they just saw this as a great opportunity. The preacher was going to set the stage and the blood was going to flow. And so in the midst of that meeting, he preached. And he preached like his life depended on it and probably did. And he shared the truth of the powerful love of God. In one scene, I don't know if those of you that read the book or saw the movie, when, uh, when Nikki Cruz had threatened uh, uh, the preacher, David Wilkinson, uh, had threatened to cut him. And and if he didn't show up about this gospel and and David stood there, this young preacher from the hills of uh, Pennsylvania, and he says, you can cut me. You can stab me. You can chop my body into little pieces, but that won't change the love that I have for you through Jesus Christ. God loves you and I do, too. And with that, the powerful presence of the spirit of God fell upon that gang leader. And he was so wonderfully and powerfully transformed not only him but subsequently members of his of his gang that that he went on this this gang leader to become a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell me, I'll tell you that God can't change a soul, that He can't transform a person, and and we're going to see evidence of that. And the reason I say that, as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul is I guarantee you there are people in your life as they are in my life, people that we're just about at the verge of saying, I'm giving up on them. They're hopeless. There's no way that God will ever use somebody like that. And you'll think of all kinds of reasons, but I want you to stop and remember That the God that we pray to, he is the sovereign Lord of all. He is omnipotent. He is all. He's ever-present. He's all-knowing. He is the God of amazing grace, and he makes it his business. Folks, he makes it his business to confront unlikely characters and change them with the power of the love of God, the grace of God, and the message of the gospel. What I'm saying, basically, is don't ever... Ever, ever give up on anybody. You pray for them, you call out their name to God, and just trust, even the most unlikely person, you don't know that God will transform them. We're talking about this morning in Acts chapter 9. We're talking about Saul of Tarsus. He was the one, and, and and Brother Mark alluded to it, he held the coat to the people that were stoning Stephen to death. We saw that in the story of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And so he was given his full consent to the stoning of this this godly Christian young man who was preaching the gospel because he was so zealous in his uh, attempt to get rid of the church. Saul of Tarsus was his name. His His first name was after the first king of Israel, Saul, King Saul. And he was from the tribe of Benjamin that uh, Saul came from. He was proud. Paul described this later in his own testimony at several points in the book of Acts in chapter 22. If you want to go back and look in, in Acts chapter 2 and Paul's testimony, he'll tell you. Because you see, he he, he was proud that he was a, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and his his zeal was to eliminate the church. He studied under the prominent uh, rabbi G- Gamaliel. So so he was like one of the top-notch um rabbis or um, pharisees of his day if you were a jew in that community and you were asked who was most prominent up up promising up and coming young jew everybody would say oh saul tarsus no doubt about it and here he was he was he was persecuted the church He had received favor from the Jewish uh, leaders, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, to, to go to Damascus and to hunt down some of those Christians that had been dispersed by the persecution in Jerusalem. And so it's on that journey, on the road to Damascus. See, it's starting to ring a bell with you now. Oh, yeah, Saul, on the way to Damascus, where Saul encounters. No, not just encounters, he's confronted by our Savior. Look with me if you have your Bibles there and if you are studying or following along and you study God, there on page 104, we're going to look beginning in verse 3. As he traveled and was near in Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Folks, this would be the first of six visions that the Apostle Paul later would, would have with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Mind you, Christ has already been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's ascended into heaven, so he's not on the earth. So Saul of Tarsus doesn't have the benefit of seeing talking to Jesus, though so I, I believe he saw Jesus when Jesus was ministering earlier. But but in this powerful vision, he encounters a resurrected Savior, and so this powerful light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Now, mind you, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. You might ask how in the words he persecuting Jesus. Jesus is safe and sound in heaven. But you see, Jesus always makes a direct connection between himself and his people. Himself and the body of Christ. So he's saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're hunting down and you are torturing and you're bringing for execution my people, the body of Christ. In verse 5, Paul says, or Saul, Who are you, Lord? When a bright light from heaven blinds you, strikes you to the ground, and you hear a voice calling your name, any reasonable person, particularly if you are an astute Jew who knows the scriptures, you know that Jehovah, Yahweh, he's the only one that could do something like that. And so Paul wisely answers, Who are you, Lord? He knows God speaking to him, but he's not sure. This doesn't reckon with his understanding of the God of the Jews, of the Old Testament. And then he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuted. He replied, but get up and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do I can just imagine what's going through Saul's mind he's trembling he's thinking oh my goodness I can't see he gets up his eyes are open he's blind as a bat I can't see here he was riding on a mission and with the power and the authority of Judaism behind him the most prominent and powerful representation of Judaism in that area at the time and now he's helpless he can't even see he's been knocked to the ground his earth is shattered his his, the rug is pulled out from under him and only thing this voice told him and it's interesting because we see in later accounts I think in Acts chapter 22 where Paul was giving his testimony he's talking about how the men that were with him saw the light they heard a voice but they didn't hear the voice. You see, they heard Paul talking to nobody. Now, they weren't blind, but they knew something was going on. But Paul heard the voice. It doesn't matter. You know, what those men heard, the fact is that Paul or Saul heard Jesus speaking to him. In verse seven, then the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to to Damascus." How pitiful! How utterly pitiful that that this man is being led around, doesn't know where he is, where he's going, He's probably thinking, I don't even know who I am anymore. And they lead him into Damascus because that's where God told him to go or the voice. And he assumed it was God. And it, there he was in Damascus. But now he's not hunting down Christians. Any Christian that wanted to could come and kill him in an instant because he's absolutely vulnerable. Isn't that amazing? You know, sometimes God has to strike people down before he can pick them up amen sometimes god has to get you in a position where you can't do for yourself and all of a sudden you're absolutely dependent upon him you know sometimes god has to blind us to our own aspirations and our own dreams and visions and circumstances to get our full attention on him he just told him to go to damascus god had a plan We'll see what that plan was and how God was working it out. And it tells us here in verse nine that he, Saul, was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. I don't know if that was a fast or if his nerves are so torn up. I don't know about you. When something awful and terrible is going on in my life, I'm not thinking about going out for a buffet. You know, Jesus just strips you, you're just thinking, hey, what what is going on? And so we see in this account here how God's timing is absolutely perfect. God knew exactly where Saul was going to be. He knew exactly what what his mission was going to be. God knew from the day that Saul of Tarsus was born that God had an encounter with him. We've seen the timing of God, haven't we? (laughs) We saw that with Philip, didn't we? I mean, God just told him, said, Philip, I want you to leave Samaria. and I want you to go down into the wilderness and to the desert. And at an intersection, you and the cactuses and the lizards, you're going to have an encounter. And sure enough, along came the Ethiopian eunuch that we saw in the scriptures, and they are booms. God's timing is perfect, folks. God knew when he was going to call you and he was going to confront you with the truth of the gospel. God knew the moment, the very second. That he was going to convict your heart of your lostness and your sinfulness and your absolute depravity and your need for him. God knew. That there was a time that he was going to intersect your life and change you forever. If this has not happened in your life, dear friend, I encourage you to open your heart and mind to how God wants to speak to you and how he wants to manifest his presence in your life. Because you just don't know. the plans that god may have for you every encounter with christ demands a recognition of who is really in charge and god is wanting to be in charge of your life and my life and therefore he confronts us he calls us if you're following along and you study god on page 104 there's that fill in the blank thing let me just because it talks about calling Oh dear friend, listen, don't make the mistake of thinking that it's just the pastors and and ministers and missionaries that God calls. Oh sure, he calls those who are assigned to fulfill specific ecclesiastical roles in the church. But listen, God has a calling for every, every believer. If he converts you by the power of the gospel and fills you with the Holy Spirit, promise you he's got a calling for your life there is something that god wants to do through your life to bring himself glory not that you can be puffed up not that you can receive all the accolades of praise from everybody it's so that he gets the glory and it's a common thing to every born again believer of jesus christ the problem is not with god it's not that God has run out of callings. It's not that God converted you and forgot. Oh my goodness, I forgot. I, I saved Charlie Martin. I, I hadn't even given him a calling. Bless myself. No. No. The problem's not with God. The problem is with you. With me. We've not said, Lord, what is it that you want to do with my life? You know why? Because so many times we're trying to tell God what we want to do with our lives, and we ask Him to bless it. We got it backwards. A calling, the calling of God to salvation happens in two ways. Externally, for Paul, there was that, that brilliant light, the powerful divine voice from heaven. So, externally, through the proclamation of the gospel, and internally, you know, just remember your own salvation experience. This is how God works. Externally and then internally through the Holy Spirit, working in your heart, uh, in the heart of you and every person who hears. Both of these callings are essential, and both work together to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ, and it still happens today. God hasn't changed his method, He's still proclaiming the gospel. It can be in a crusade. It can be in a a worship service. It can be in a small group. It can be from one Christian friend talking to an unsaved friend and sharing the gospel externally. And when that happens and you have been selected by the God of all creation, the sovereign ruler of all, and the holy and righteous God, then let me tell you something. If he has chosen you, and he has externally shared the truth of the gospel with you, I promise you, his Holy Spirit goes to work. As soon as the message of the gospel is taught, preached, or shared, it's like God the Father says to the Holy Spirit, sick And you can can run, you can hide, you can cover yourself up, you can go to the darkest corner of the world, dear friend, but let me tell you something, the hound of heaven is going to track you down and you'll never get peace until God gets a hold of you. The Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of God, you say, well, Charlie, you talk like you, you, you you're saying this from experience. You better believe I am. You better believe I am. I know what it's like when the Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart and says, Come here, boy. Listen to me now. Listen to me. I'm in charge. You owe me your life. Now, here's what I want to do with you. You, Some of you may be nervous. You think, Oh, my goodness. Is he going to call me to be a preacher? Is he going to call me to be a missionary? He might. Praise God if he does. But here's the fact. He's got something. That should be a priority in your life. Above all your dreams and aspirations, all your plans, all your career, all your educational accomplishments, everything, above everything, there's something God wants to do in your life that will fulfill his purpose and plan in your life. So when when the Lord called, mind you, Paul had never met Jesus Christ. But when he heard he knew it was the voice of the Lord. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. Do you hear the voice of God? Do you recognize his voice? If he's trying to get your attention, are you even listening? You see, I know parent. Parenting experts talk about children sometimes, and, and I think about myself as a kid who become what they call parent deaf. <laughs> it's like the parents can be talking, and some of you parents can relate if you got small children. And you know, small children or children in general. I'm sorry if I'm incriminating you, but the fact is, sometimes you know you you hear, but you don't want to hear. You know, Charlie, do your chores. Charlie, do your homework. And, and, and they could be reciting the Pledge of Allegiance as far as I was concerned. I tune them out. Folks, listen, you tune your parents out, I wouldn't advise it, because I found out that had painful consequences. But don't ever get in the practice of trying to tune God out. I promise you, there will be consequences, and that could involve misblessings. It could, yes, indeed, or something painful, but God will get your attention. He'll get your attention. So here he is, poor Saul of Tarsus. He's there in the city of Damascus, but guess what? He's not hunting down Christians. He's sitting there trembling. He's starving because he can't eat and he's blind as a bat. And and as far as he's concerned, his life is over. What does the Sanhedrin want with a blind? Zealot. There was a, Looking at Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Let's pick up from there. Because see, after confronting Saul and after confronting you and me and after confronting our family and our friends and our neighbors through us with the truth of the gospel and and, and, they, and getting our attention and getting their attention, God will then initiate a call to a mission a for a mission. In verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. You know what? It's the only time y'all gonna see him. It's the only time the Bible's gonna to refer to not Ananias, but I'm gonna tell you something. He's one of the most important people in the scriptures. <laughs> when you stop and consider what God's gonna do through the life of Saul of Tarsus, and he used a man, a, almost a no name He's not on the, the biblical who's who list. King David and Daniel and you know and 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 all the apostles and no there was a disciple that's the important thing for you to understand there's his qualification because you know what a disciple is called to do follow and you know what who do you, who does the disciple of Jesus Christ follow Jesus Christ and there was a disciple a man who had committed his life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ who happened to be in Damascus not coincidence but providence name ananias some of you might be scratching your head if you haven't done your homework because you think oh goodness i thought he died with his wife when they cheated the church back in acts chapter five (laughs) wrong ananias okay (laughs) that one's already in the ground this is ananias the man of god and the lord said to him in a vision okay now remember remember the lord speaking out of the blue Just like he'll speak to me and speak to you. And Ananias is going about his business and all of a sudden he hears his name. He hears his name in a vision, Ananias. Now the difference between Ananias and Saul of Tarsus is, Saul of Tarsus says, who are you? Not Ananias. You see, as a true believer of Christ and a lover of the gospel, he says right away, here I am, Lord. Is that you? The Lord calls your name. You know, when you're meditating, praying, thinking, reflecting, or going about your business and the Lord calls your name, you sense it deep in your spirit. Is your first response, here I am, Lord, ready for duty? Or you think, who's that? What's going on? Kind of like the donkey in Shrek. I better not go there. (laughs) Here I am, Lord, was his reply. You know, to God, when he hears a, a disciple, nowadays, as well as then, when, when he says, Charlie, and I say, here I am, Lord. Yes, sir. What's up? He's saying, right answer. Right answer. That's what I want to hear. He says, get up and go to the street called Straight. I'm assuming that was a street in Damascus that didn't have any curves. I don't know. I may read too much into the message, but you know, here the scripture. But there was a street called straight. By the way, that street still exists today. It has some Arabic name. I think it's Darb El Mastageen. But but you if you go to Damascus, you can still ride from east to west through uh, uh, east to west through Damascus on the street called straight. Well, it was on that street there where the Lord had Saul of Tarsus. Blind as back bat there in somebody's house. Well, listen, when God gives instructions, you don't have to use a Ouija board. You don't have to consult a spiritist, okay? You don't have to put out a fleece or whatever. God's pretty specific. Look how specific he was with Saul of Tarsus. He said, "Once you go to the street straight? Got it, Lord. He's checking off the directions. And he's ready. You know, he's thinking, well, I'm going to get to be used by the Lord. Hallelujah. The street call straight. And I want you to go to a certain house. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got, got it. Right here. Now they didn't have Google Maps, so <laughs> if he didn't know Damascus, he'd have to ask for some directions as he went along. But, but anyway, he found the street. Yeah, and, and go to the house where the man named Judas lives. Oh, got it. Judas. Judas. Who? I don't like that name, but he obviously he's okay with you. And ask for a man. <laughs> now here's where the this is where the cookie crumbles. <laughs> Ananias, and when you get to Judas' house, Sithra asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul. <laughs> Why was Ananias in Damascus? He's running for his life like the rest of the Christians from Jerusalem because Saul of Tarsus was hunting them down like bunny rabbits and he's a hound dog. And, and just a mention of, it was like Darth Vader. <laughs> he's the death master to any believer. So when, I can just hear Ananias when the Lord gives him that name and drops it on him. And he says, you know, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hand on him so that he may regain his sight. And, and in verse 13, Ananias is just being honest. He's just being truthful like you and I. He, You know, Ananias is answering, you know, uh, God, are you sure it's Saul or Tarsus? He'll kill me. That's a bad porky pig invitation, but you get the point. Now, probably would be stammering all over, too. He says, I've heard from others or many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints, your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Lord, are you sure? Have you had any stubborn moments where the Lord says, uh, Charlie, I want you to talk to that neighbor two streets over from you there. You know, the one that has a growl like a bulldog on his face, you know, and hates the mention of Jesus, and made it clear he doesn't want anything to do. Yeah, that's the one. I want you to go and befriend him. You know, just strike up a conversation and get to know him because and, and, I'm going to use that man. Uh, yeah, yeah, Lord, I, you know, I sure, yeah, he's cussed me out a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he, I've heard what he said about churches and cursing. Yeah. Have you had any stuttering moments? Has there been somebody that God's laid on your heart? It could be a member of the family. It could be a dear friend. Ananias says, uh, are you sure? <laughs> and Jesus went on to say. But the Lord said to him in verse 15, Go. He didn't give any rationalizations. Ananias, do you trust me? I'm look, I'm the son of God, I'm on the throne of authority. No, he says, Go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he has suffered for my name. Wow. So we see here where God is unveiling this this plan about the one that he's going to use. Mind you, he could have picked, when there's seven deacons that were, Elected by the church back in Acts chapter 6. Godly men full of grace and the spirit of God. Yeah, Stephen's dead. Philip is busy. But there's five other godly men full of the Holy Spirit. Couldn't God use one of them to be his ambassador to the Gentiles and to the Gentile leaders and the Jewish leaders? I mean, my goodness. Couldn't he have sent one of the apostles? But you see, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And God made it clear that he had selected someone that that probably nobody else would have imagined being the ambassador, the the persecutor of the church. As Brother Mark was reminding us of the mercy of God, and here God is calling the one who is the most hated individual by born-again believers of that time, or feared at least, and he's using him you know i know in ananias's mind he's scratching his head and and so do you and me sometimes when god puts somebody on our hearts that we don't suspect could possibly be used by the lord and yet god is saying no i want you to go to them i want you to share the gospel with them and god works in unexpected ways I mean, you, you probably still go back to Roxborough now and you mentioned the name of Charlie Martin and uh, you better back up a couple steps. It might take a swing at you. But if you were to say, oh yeah, I heard Charlie Martin preaching the other day. That's a, a preacher. Oh, you least talking about Charlie right down there in the high plains community, that wild Indian. You, are you sure? God has... I think I love the I love the story that Greg Laurie tells about his own life, how God took him from being a long-haired, you know, dope-using hippie in California back in the '70s during the hippie movement, and 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 God, uh, you know, just spoke to him through Chuck Smith, the 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 pastor there, uh, just a very uh, powerful and yet simple, humble man of God who who reached out to the hippies and embraced them when most pastors were throwing the hippies out of the churches and, and tell them they didn't have any business being in the churches and Pastor Chuck was welcoming the hippies in and, and Greg Laurie was one of those. He was making fun of the Christians at high school there as a young man and all of a sudden now one day the Spirit of God uses the Word of God confronts him and calls him and Greg Laurie, that long-haired drug using hippie who ridiculed Christians was one to Christ. Not only that, he became a preacher of the gospel. Not only that, he became an evangelist. Not only that, he became a close friend, dear friend of Billy and Franklin Graham. Talked about times of being in the Graham home and 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 dining with R- Billy Graham and Ruth Graham and and, and 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 God began to bless this this. Former hippie, now powerfully converted and transformed by the gospel, they're having—he's got a, a, a powerful church out there that 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 is preaching the gospel, and he has crusades that he's that filling up the stadiums in Southern California with young people, young adults who are being moved by his 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 message, which is plain and biblical and gospel, and hundreds of thousands of young people are coming to Christ. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? Well, we need to move along because as Paul Harvey, the radio commentators now with the Lord, we're used to say for the rest of the story. In verse, We're going to look at Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias went and entered the house. Good, old, good Ananias, good for you. And, and, and he placed his hands on him, being Saul of Tarsus. Maybe a little bit trembling, but he did because the Lord says, this is what you're going to do. And he said, now, don't miss this because you're going to ask yourself, is, was he sincere? Was he truly convinced that God had called this form of persecutor of the church and was him by the power of the gospel? Let me tell you something. First thing he said when he laid hands on this blind man, he said, brother Saul. He already knew God had already won the heart of this man. He didn't have to fear. This this former persecutor of the church was now a born again believer of Jesus Christ. He was his brother. There was a kindred spirit that bonded him. I know I sometimes catch people off guard. You know, I, I just grew up in the South and and I grew up in a country church and 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 you know we just didn't know any better than to call fellow christians brother and sister the bible talks about you know brothers in christ sisters and you know so when i greet people you know i say hey brother so-and-so you know and and i i have to catch well no i don't even catch myself but i still do it i i, I just is normal to me so if i if i call you sister so-and-so brother so-and-so it's not because i'm trying to make you feel awkward it's because i love you you're you're family and i'm in the big family y'all know that right <laughs> And it's funny to watch the expression on the faces of people I've been serving on the board of directors for the Baptist State Convention for a few years Mm -hmm. and the executive board. So that means I do have to mingle with some of the higher-ups and all. And all these people got more doctor's degrees behind them than I got letters in in my name. But, you know, and, and, you know, before I catch myself, I go to the director of the whole Baptist Convention who's over all the Baptist churches from east to west. And I went out thinking, I was like, hey, Brother Milton. Uh, Oops, I what you write? I forgot your title. <laughs> but you know what? When they feel it's in your heart, all of a sudden they're not, they're not offended. When they know that you're greeting them as a brother and sister in Christ, it doesn't matter. But I like that. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, you were traveling. Now, now, Saul, you better believe he's listening. He's listening carefully because. Ananias, this stranger that he can't even see, is telling him things that nobody else knows. He says, he has sent me to you that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, verse 18, at once, something like scales dropped from Saul's eyes, his eyes, and he regained his sight. Presto, God didn't waste any time giving him back his sight. What's that say? It should say to Saul, this guy means business. And yes, God is in this. I can see it's a miracle. And not only that, it should say to Ananias, don't stop now. God's at work. Don't stop now. And so he got up and he was baptized. Who baptized him? I suggest it was Ananias, took him to the water said, now listen, if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, this is what the Great Commission says. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Saul wrestled with him a half a day because he was Pentecostal and didn't want to be baptized. No, no. He got baptized. Because Saul knew at that point that the Lord was working mightily in his life. And after taking some food, he's relieved. Finally, it's coming together. He understands. Now, he has not fully understood, but he knows now I'm okay. And I've got a brother. I've got somebody who wants to take care of me and help me. And so he's really he eats food. He gains his strength. And Saul was with the disciples, brothers and sisters, I added, in Damascus for some time. And I want you to look at verse 20. Immediately. Immediately. Hmm, i will tell you something. He began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. Was he truly converted? You better believe he was. Not only did God change his heart, but God changed his message. What was his message going to Damascus? Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. Don't anybody say that anymore. It's impossible. Jehovah doesn't have a son. I'll kill anybody. That utters such a heretical statement. That was his message going to Samaria of Damascus. What's his message now? As he stands before the throngs gathered to hear this once zealous Pharisee persecutor of the church, stand up before all these people, didn't matter if they were Christians or Jews, and he says, this Jesus Christ, he is the Son of God. You know what? God had already equipped Saul of Tarsus. Remember? He'd studied Judaism, he'd studied the Old Testament, he understood the law, he understood everything that the Scriptures had said from, from all the way back in Genesis, all the way up through Malachi. He knew it. He is equipped to preach from Jewish history, Jewish traditions, Jewish prophecy, Jewish scriptures. And with that kind of solid biblical background, it was like putting nitro together with glycerin. He was a gospel bomb of evangelism. And we know that, don't we? Because we know the rest of the book, don't we? We know the rest of the epistles. And God had done a great point you know the lesson writer talked about tipping point Christians Ananias the one that one time mentioned in the Bible the one time this Ananias was a tipping point Christian you see when you're doing dominoes I don't play dominoes much because I don't have the patience to set them up but I like to watch them fall down but anyway you know how it works just one domino just one little domino tick Tick, 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 I mean, you saw a chain reaction doing phenomenal things. I've seen it on these TV programs. But it all starts with one, doesn't it? One domino. One Christian. How many people do you suppose in the relatively short lifetime of the apostle Paul came to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Now, I'm not just counting the ones that heard him audibly and, and And converted to Christianity, but I'm saying, how many do you suppose that have read his epistles and his life story and have come to Jesus Christ as a result? What would have happened to Saul of Tarsus if an Ananias had resisted God the Lord and said i nah, I just don't have time I, Just don't feel good about it. That's not me. I just was rigid and stood there. No Ananias. No Paul, the apostle. No Paul, the apostle. No church at Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Rome. You get the picture. Is it possible that you are? And sure you are. Every Christian is. Potentially a tipping point Christian. You may not be known in the annals of church history for years to come. But who knows that one person that God nudged you and said, I want you to touch, touch their life with the love of God and the good news of the gospel. Who's to say that they become saved They get somebody to be saved somewhere down the road, maybe 200 down the road. There's a powerful servant of the Lord who will exponentially spread the kingdom work of God because you were willing to be a tipping point Christian. Hey, listen, this this thing that God was doing that day on the road to Damascus, Who could have ever thought that it would turn the world upside down? And it did. As the gospel began to fan out and spread and Christians were boldly and filled with the Spirit, powerfully sharing the name of Jesus Christ. I challenge me and I challenge you. You ask the Lord, Lord, Tell him, first of all, Lord, I want to be a tipping point Christian. I want my life to count for glory and leave the rest to him. And you just be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it, it is so good, Lord, that you have so meticulously and divinely not only recorded the scriptures but inspired them every every portion of the scriptures and so we have these vivid accounts of how you are working and have worked through the lives of faithful men and women down through the ages to advance your kingdom cause and lord i know the times that we're in are spiritually dark and, and extremely challenging but lord look how dark they were back then for ananias and all of those and yet look at what you did through them for your glory. And Lord, we are the we benefit from what the, the, they did back then and the sacrifices they made and all the Christians through the generations following, all the way to us. I pray, O oh Lord, if there's anyone here today, that you have singled out, that you want to call first convict their hearts, Lord, that they are lost that they need you. Their sins will take them into eternity under the judgment and the wrath of God where they'll suffer judgment for eternity. Convict them of how dangerous their position is. And Lord, once you convict them by, the, the, by your Holy Spirit and by your word, I pray immediately that Lord, you will go to work and bring in bringing them through this wonderful transformation of conversion that they would become a brand new creature in Christ. And immediately after that, Lord, I pray they'll sense a call on their life that will make a difference in your great kingdom for your glory. Lord, I pray that Christians will be revived and encouraged. I pray that those of us who have gotten our priorities out of order and we've lost sight of our primary purpose for being on this earth, I pray that, Lord, you will do that for us as individual Christians. And Lord, I pray that for our church, For this church, for Cornerstone, that Lord, that you will revive us as a congregation and cause us to see the glorious opportunity that we have to be a lighthouse to this sin darkened community around us and shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God through our reaching out to our neighbors and our friends around us. Oh Lord, let this church be a dynamo for the cause of Christ, not for our prominence. Not for our honor, but for your glory. And we'll thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mark, I'll turn.